0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Well, hello, everyone, and Happy New Year. It's good to be back live behind the microphone. I want to thank Joseph Backholm for filling in for me the last few weeks as I was recovering from a uh, bicycle accident. But I'm back behind the microphone. Well, lots to talk about. And uh, topping the list is the latest COVID variant and how the Biden administration is responding.
0: We already know that there are reports from fire departments, from uh, police departments in different cities that there are 10, 20, 25, and sometimes 30 percent of the people are ill. That's something mm-hmm. that we're going to need to be concerned about because we want to make sure that we don't have such an impact on society that there really is a disruption.
1: That uh, is certainly a concern, especially when you add to it the mandates that are forcing some frontline workers to leave their jobs. That, of course, was Dr. COVID, Dr. Fauci, yesterday making his rounds on TV. Well, the focus this week, though, will be the Biden administration's vaccine mandates and the courts that are continuing to halt their implementation. The latest being a Louisiana district court judge in joining the mandate for Head Start workers. We'll get the latest on that decision from one of the state attorneys general involved in the case, Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost. Harris Alec from The Washington Times will first give us an update on how the other mandates are faring as the Supreme Court is set to take up two cases on Friday. And what happened to follow the science? Despite FDA and CDC scientists expressing serious concern about giving vaccine boosters to 12 to 14-year-olds, the FDA sidelined the experts and approved the vaccine boosters. Does that then set up the process for local mandates from schools? We'll talk about it with Dr. Andrew Bostom, research physician at Brown University. Also, last Thursday, I read one of the most outrageous I don't say that often, but this is one of the most outrageous headlines I think I've ever seen. It was from the Associated Press. And here's what it said. Slow motion insurrection. How GOP seizes election power. Now, the whole focus of the article was to say that conservatives who are running for state and local offices to ensure free and fair elections are leading an insurrection Of course, it's trying to tie this back to what happened January the 6th, which you're going to hear all about this week. This is not only false journalism. It is dangerous journalism. And we're going to talk about what's really happening in states across the nation as it pertains to election reform and why a majority of the states have taken actions to clean up elections. We're going to talk about it with Heritage Foundation's Hans von Sposkowski a little bit later here on Washington Watch. And this is a new year. And we've begun a new two-year journey through the Bible, Stand on the Word. And each day I'm going to have a verse of the day for you. Today it's Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. We're going to talk more about that later with Dr. Keenan Curitan when he joins me to talk about the two-year journey through the Bible, Stand on the Word. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Love to hear from you. You can email me, Tony, at TonyPerkins.com. Dot com. All right, this Friday, the U.S. Supreme Court will hold a special session to hear oral arguments over two of the Biden administration's federal vaccine mandates, one for federally funded health care facilities and one for employers with 100 or more workers. The mandates were scheduled to go into effect this week and together cover nearly 100 million Americans, that's 17 million health care workers and 80 million private business workers. Here with me now. To give an overview of how the mandates have been faring so far in the courts and what is expected ahead is Harris Alec, Capitol Hill reporter for The Washington Times. Harris, welcome back to Washington Watch.
2: Well, Tony, thank you so much for having me on. It's going to be a big week here with the uh, with the Supreme Court holding an emergency special session on the on the two vaccine mandates that President Biden has imposed the vaccine mandate for private employers, but then also the vaccine mandate for public health workers. Uh, the vaccine mandate for public health workers is actually pretty stringent. Most people think that it only applies to certain types of um, hospital workers, but essentially covers any sort of primary position who takes Medicare and Medicaid, and that sure is a lot of uh, folks around this country. Uh, one of the big things to be looking out for is going to be the definition of what a mandate is. The Biden administration is defending its mandate by saying it's not really a mandate. We're actually just offering private businesses and health care workers the choice of whether or not they want to be vaccinated or whether or not they want to mask up and have to uh, do daily testing. Uh, the Congress has no absolute ability to actually impose a Congress, uh, excuse me, OSHA has no congressionally uh, mandated ability to impose a vaccine mandate, which is what I think the Attorney General of uh, Ohio is going to say up next. But so that's what the big uh, focus here is going to be: whether or not this agency is actually implementing a mandate, whether or not this vaccine mandate is, is a mandate. It All sounds kind of um, lawyerly, which I which I think it is. But this impacts over 100 million people, and the reason why the Supreme Court is taking this uh, action right now, an emergency special session, is primarily because this um, this uh, this mandate and the the course that it's followed in, in the courts, with uh, several jurisdictions striking it down, and others reinstating it, has essentially created this limbo for businesses and for private workers everywhere where essentially you know if 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 you work in one state you need to have a vaccination or you could be fired whereas in another state you could be fine depending on whether or not the government chooses to enforce it so it's created this limbo of patchwork that people are trying to jump through and the supreme court is really stepping in hopefully we'll have an answer soon but uh most people think that if the supreme court doesn't announce something probably by the end of this month the uh the administration won't actually be able to enforce this mandate um, however you know we'll have to see what some of the governors and what some of the uh uh local states choose to do Harris give me um
1: a kind of a scoreboard here i mean i've i've not been tracking in the last couple of weeks but from my recollection uh, the, the administration is not faring too well in the courts when it comes to these mandates
2: no absolutely not tony they're uh, they're getting struck down all over the place as we saw Last week, the uh, the federal vaccine mandate for the Head Start program, and also which I think uh, uh, the mandate that would require uh, children below the age of two to be masked up, uh, has been struck down. Uh, local judges have struck down the the administration's uh, vaccine mandate for healthcare workers. But as I said, you know, part of this really boils down to the fact of what specific jurisdictions have done. Some jurisdictions have struck it down. Some jurisdictions have reinstated it. Um, Courts have reversed each other, and and that's why the Supreme Court is stepping in. But uh, overall, it seems like this isn't a very, very popular mandate, both politically Mm -hmm. and at the constitutional level, because it's being struck down. I think we're seeing polling that shows up to 70 percent of Americans aren't necessarily a fan of it.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that says a lot, uh, Harris. Alec, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Always great to uh, to get your insights on what's happening uh, on Capitol Hill and the courts and elsewhere. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Tony. You know, I, I think he's absolutely right. When you look at uh, what has happened in court after court, and then you look at the uh, you know the public opinion, which is heavily against it's not not against the, the vaccine, and we're going to talk about that more in just a moment. Not against the vaccine, but against the mandate and when you have so many courts it's going to be very interesting when you have so many lower courts coming to the same conclusion not not all not all of them i understand not all of them but many of them saying this is an overreach it's unconstitutional um, i just think the the supreme court's going to have a hard time i think they had to take the case because of this you have split decisions but i think it's going to be hard for them to say that everything is fine you know, I, I think it's, it's worth re-highlighting that a flurry of lawsuits has been filed against the Biden administration's vaccine mandates. In fact, as we said, the Supreme Court was flooded with emergency appeals within hours of the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals decision last month to lift the stay on OSHA's requirement. And among those who have been fighting the mandates, and we've had him on the program many times, But uh, we saw success, or they saw success uh, just yesterday or over the weekend. Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost, who joined lawsuits with his counterparts in other states over the mandates, including the two that will be argued before the Supreme Court on Friday. And he joins me now. Uh, General Yost, welcome back to the program. Tony, it's good to see you. I'm glad you're recovering. Well, thank you. It's uh, it's good to be back behind the microphone. Uh, I'm sitting gingerly. Uh, But I'm sitting nonetheless. I won't be standing a whole lot late in the the near future, but I'm doing well. Thanks. Let me ask you this. You you first you saw success in this Head Start case. You were a part of that with uh, my good friend Jeff Landry, attorney general of Louisiana. Uh, Tell us about the outcome of that case. Well, this is the so-called toddler mandate.
3: Um, It not only requires everybody that comes anywhere close to the Head Start program to uh, be vaccinated, but it requires all kids age two and older to wear a mask Um, anytime that they're being transported in uh, a premises that's associated with Head Start. Well, the district court issued its opinion over the weekend, I think on Saturday, Uh, And issued the preliminary injunction saying no toddler mandate Uh, of that particular note to me. They not only found that uh, the department did not have the legal authority from Congress to issue this mandate, but went on to say that it's a violation of the 10th Amendment. Um, This case is heading to the Supreme Court, too, I think. And I would love to see a 10th Amendment precedent set. Uh, out of all of these executive fiat's.
1: Now, General, this was a district court in Western Louisiana, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it, this would go, if I'm again not mistaken, to the Fifth Circuit if challenged, right. uh, which has been pretty good on this. In fact, they were the first one to strike down the uh, the OSHA mandate on uh, employees with over a hun- employers with over 100 employees. That's right. The Fifth uh, Fifth Circuit has a um,
3: very constitutionally based view of executive power uh, and has been jealous of the separation of powers. Uh, I feel very good
1: about our chances in the fifth. Now, you you made very clear that this case is not about the vaccine.
0: I mean, Absolutely. this is not about
1: about people getting the vaccine or whether the vaccine is good or not. It's it's about the power being exercised by the federal government. That's
3: exactly right. And I'm vaccinated, as I, I know, you know, and I've been boosted. And I encourage people to consider that talk with your doctor. It's the right decision for most of us. But this lawsuit isn't about that. This lawsuit is about whether a president can essentially write a law. This regulation is hundreds of pages long. And it breaks new ground, establishes new duties. Um, It doesn't just set rules for how Congress's law is going to be carried out. And uh, we think that it's way overstepping. It's overreach. And courts across the country have been agreeing with us.
1: Well, you in your uh, filings, I think that it, you said this, is said if the executive branch is allowed to usurp the power of the legislative branch to make laws and the country is no longer a democracy, it is a monarchy. And, you know, when you hear all of this from the left and even the media talking about how, you know, democracy is under attack, they're missing it. It's happening right In front of their faces from the Biden administration, I have never seen such an intense attack, not only upon democracy, the authority of local governments, but quite frankly, the the power and authority granted to the local family by God himself.
3: The government wants to be our parents, it it would seem. Um, But the fact of the matter is we have separation of powers. We have limited powers of the federal government under our Constitution. And all of the ones that have not been directly given to the the federal government by the Constitution still belong to the states or, as you say, to the people. Um, These mandates, up and down across the board, violate those sacred
1: principles that are foundational to our country. You're absolutely right. And I'm grateful for our state attorneys general like you, General Yost, who are fighting for those constitutional principles and freedoms. And thanks so much for joining us today. It's good to see you. All right. Uh, Attorney General Dave Yost of Ohio. Well, Coming up, the FDA has authorized COVID vaccine boosters for 12 to 15 year olds, despite, despite what the experts are saying. We're going to talk about that next You're on Washington Watch. Don't go away.
4: sign up at frc.org/subscriptions
5: At Family Research Council, it is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've decided to be proactive to make sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. That is why we created a text subscription platform. If we get canceled, you can stay informed and still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? to 67742.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, the website tonyperkins.com. Check it out. Lots of resources there for you. The Biden administration continues to insist that it's following the science while taking actions that run counter to the science. Earlier today, the Food and Drug Administration authorized booster shots of the Pfizer vaccine for 12 to 15-year-olds, and they did so by circumventing the standard convening of the Vaccines and Related Biological Products Advisory Committee. Why? Well, I don't think they liked what they had to say. Now, is the Biden administration really being driven by the science? The whole response to this COVID the various variants. Is it being driven by the science or is it being driven by something else like fear or politics? Here with me now to talk about this is Dr. Andrew Bostom, an academic clinical trialist and epidemiologist who is currently a research physician at Brown University Center for Primary Care and Prevention at Kent Memorial Hospital in Rhode Island. Dr. Bostom, welcome back to Washington Watch.
0: Thanks for having me on. Happy New Year Tony.
1: Thank you. Happy New Year to you as well. Let me uh, first get your reaction to the FDA's authorization of the booster shots for 12 to 15-year-olds. What do you think about it?
0: I, I think it's very misguided, and I think there's been some strong dissent. Uh, I think uh, um members of, of advisory panels uh, have, have literally resigned over, over this issue. Um, you know, Tony, we're on very flimsy grounds in terms of vaccinating children to begin with, with the primary series, the, the typical two-shot mRNA series uh, that, that was initially approved. Um, that was based on a very small trial of 2,300 kids. Now, that may sound large to some people, but it's actually a very small trial, where they literally prevented uh, comparing the placebo group to the to the actively vaccinated kids, they literally pre- prevented uh, in these five to eleven year olds thirteen cases of sniffles. There there were no serious cases of, of COVID uh, in in either group. Uh, there were cl- certainly no hospitalizations in, in either group. Um, that's a pretty flimsy basis to go and embark upon a mass you know vaccination program, particularly now, Tony, when we're you know we're seeing what's what's developing with Omicron. Uh, um, I just saw a, a an enormous analysis from a uh, electronic uh, medical record database of eighty four million Americans uh, which showed that in, in in kids in the pediatric age range so newborns to seventeen year olds um this this uh, uh analysis of the omicron period comparing it to delta um, uh showed that kids in that age range are running uh, about four- to five-fold less rates of emergency department visits and about two- to three-fold less lower rates of hospitalizations with Omicron. So that's against a background of extremely limited disease, certainly in healthy children, uh, to begin with. Um, it, just, it just the whole thing, uh, the whole rush Seems um, uh, you know unnecessary. Uh, there, there's there, the Omicron itself, given this this sort of light disease burden, may confer um, and its contagiousness may, may confer a, a much more robust and long-lasting immunity than right. any vaccination yeah. than boosters. Um, and and not as if you're again particularly with the mass of kids who are healthy, you're not subjecting them to to an unreasonable risk by by just letting it spread in the community.
1: Well, and you're the expert on this, so let me ask you this question. When you have the natural immunity, is there more elasticity to the different variants that may come that way as opposed to a specifically targeted vaccine?
0: It does appear that way, Tony, because of the robust nature of, of T-cell, of cell-mediated immunity, and, and its great adaptability, whereas antibodies you know, tend to be much more specific, can wax and wane. I mean, there are, this, there, there is, there are memory B-cells. Uh, that 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 are antibody-producing cells that that can that can uh, you know confer long-term immunity as well, but it's really the T-cell immunity that appears to be much more robust from uh, from natural infections and much more flexible.
1: Right. So if if we really wanted to stop this and build a bulwark, a, a firewall, if you will, around society, it would be probably a quicker way to do it is allow healthy people. Who may get the the omicron virus or a variant uh, to get that natural immunity? I think w- wouldn't we reach that uh, goal of herd immunity quicker that way
0: yeah and and I mean look the bottom line is they 're going to get it i mean it 's breaking through uh, the, the, the the vaccines even even the even the boosted populations across across the world uh, Africa, Europe, and now the United states so it's 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 spreading regardless of of whether you know, we we put our stock in the vaccines or not, um, and so yes, given given its its relatively mild nature, you know, we have an historical precedent perhaps for this. Uh, there was something that circulated between 1889 and 1891 called the Russian flu. It turns out that it was likely a coronavirus which which jumped from from cows to humans. Um, it was a very aggressive disease initially. Um, now, with genetic analyses, it's believed that that became a common cold-causing coronavirus, uh, which, which now circulates as human coronavirus OC43. This is a cold-causing coronavirus, which occasionally can, can wreak some havoc in a, in a nursing home setting, but by and large circulates, you know, amongst children and adults uh, as a cold-causing coronavirus.
1: Well, l- let me ask you this. As a, as a last question, as an expert, as a physician, as one who is concerned about these things, is it not troubling when we see the federal government taking on an issue that's already plagued with uncertainty in the eyes of the American people to violate both the process and the science to get to their ultimate objective?
0: It's, it's extremely troubling. It, again, it harkens back to the the very bad Lysenko era in the Soviet Union, where, where this geneticist somehow became the favorite of Stalin and imposed his views uh, on the scientific community, uh, to the great detriment of, of of Soviet society, of the ordinary people uh, back then, and you know, contributed to, to 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 famine and 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 to the and to the debasement of science.
1: Because next time something pops up, people are going to be more distrusting of the government, even more so when the government violates its own. Policies and it ignores the very thing that it says it's following, and that is the science. Dr. Bostom always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, for joining us today. Take care, Tom. All right, Dr. Andrew Boston Brown University. Look, again, I want to reiterate what we said earlier with uh, Jer- Attorney General Yost. Look, you need to make the decision about the vaccine based upon what your health care provider says. I encourage some people who are at high-risk categories to get it, Uh, If they need it, if their doctor says, not if their president says or their CDC says, but if your doctor says. All right. New year and we're on a new journey through the Bible. Stand on the word. We've been we did it two years. over the last two years, we're starting a new one. And we've got lots of resources available for you. I want to encourage you to join us on this. Dr. Keenan Curiton is going to join me next to talk about it. Don't go away. We're back with more Washington Watch after this.
6: What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins, and the website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, I'm going to invite you to join me on a journey. It's called Stand on the Word. It's a two-year journey through the Bible. You know, how many of you have uh, attempted to read through the Bible, and you're taking on, oh, I'm going to read the Bible this year. And I tell you, it's a challenge, a lot of reading. We did this two years ago. It's something I did with my family years ago, did with my church when I was pastoring. And so we did it as an organization, a two-year journey through the Bible. So each day, Monday through Saturday, you have uh, readings broken down to 15, maybe 20 minutes at the most. And then on Sundays, it's a time of discussion where families, small groups, Sunday school classes, uh, even churches, we have some churches actually doing this as a church, going all the way through pastors preaching on those passages uh, that they have their congregations have read during the course of the week. And I tell you, just from an organizational standpoint, it's just so great to see the the growth. Encouraging to see the spiritual growth as we're walking through the Bible together on this uh, journey. And so we've um, we've developed more resources along the way to help you on this journey, so you're not doing it alone. Uh, in fact, each day uh, I'm going to be talking about it here just to, if just the verse of the day I mentioned earlier, Genesis chapter four, verses seven. Uh, where Cain and Abel, Cain is uh, contemplating killing Abel. And the Lord says to him, if you do well, will you not be accepted? But if you not do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, and you should rule over it. And uh, actually, each morning, I do a, a short devotional. You can watch it on uh, Facebook, or you can get it at uh, frc.org slash Bible. And, and uh, today, focused on the fact that this was God laying out the very foundation for government. The basis being self-government, and Cain had to have control over the decisions he made. He couldn't blame the environment, couldn't blame his parents. He had to take responsibility, and that's why our whole system of government, the rule of law, is based upon self-government. Just one concept, uh, and this is what we do in this journey through the Bible. Joining me now to talk more about some of the resources that we have available for you on this uh, journey is Dr. Kenan Curitan, who heads up our uh, Division of Christian Resources. Dr. Curitan, welcome to Washington Watch.
8: Great to be with you, Tony. Happy New Year.
1: Happy New Year. All right, for those of our viewers and listeners who are uh, just hearing about this plan for the first time, uh, what can you tell them about? What can they expect from this journey?
8: Well I think you laid it out very well. Uh, one of the unique things about this plan and a lot of you know a lot of people have good intentions about starting you know a devotional plan at the beginning of the new year, and they 'll start with some book we 're not using a devotional book we 're using the book as you pointed out right we 're reading the Bible itself. What a novel idea right uh, to yeah. read the bible and uh, in the Bible, people come face to face with the God who created them and the God who loves them. And the God who has a word for them. And so yeah. we're encouraging everybody to spend time reading and studying the Bible because it is literally God breathed. It is God's very word to us. And, you well, know, and by,
1: you, yeah. you, you, you can't joke about that, but that's how I came a- across this years ago. I was looking for a devotional for my family and, and could not able to find one. I said, you know, what about the Bible? Uh, and just using that and and really you know people are intimidated by it but Kenan, uh you, you you've been a you know you you've been a pastor you've uh, you've taught um the bible really teaches itself it interprets itself, and of course the the Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit to lead us into all understanding of the truth, so we shouldn't be intimidated at reading the bible
8: absolutely, if the spirit of God inspired it. The Spirit of God can guide you to understand it. That's, I mean, it really does happen that way. And I know a lot of people are intimidated by the Bible and they, you know, they look at it and they say, oh, man, I don't know that I can understand the concepts. But if they'll pray and they'll obey what God reveals to them, it's interesting how God will then unfold even deeper revelations of himself.
1: Talk a little bit about the resources that they'll find at frc.org slash Bible.
8: Pretty excited about those, Tony. Uh, you know, last go, we just had a simple PDF. People could download, print out, or order. Uh, it was it was a calendar. But, hey, we have really, I mean, our IT and web people have put together a tremendous resource. If they go to frc.org forward slash Bible, they're going to find a resource you can't find anywhere else. I mean, They will find on that page a very user friendly format that links to the day's reading, the Bible reading. That'll be front and center. And you can choose between the English standard version, which is a really popular, uh, you know, newer version or the new King James version, as well as an audio version for those who want to listen to the Bible being read in a very distinguished voice. And also on that page, we've got a couple of questions, uh, for that day for a daily discussion. And that's one of the the unique things about this plan as well. It's meant to be shared and and, and experienced uh, in a group, not just yourself, which that's great. You need to do that, but sharing it with your family, just like you did with your family, like I'm doing with my family. And now my my, uh, son-in-law, who's a pastor, uh, he's going to be doing this with his entire church. So he's going to be leading uh, his whole church through this and sending out those, those discussion questions each day. And then on Sundays, we have a debrief day. But when you scroll through that website, you just pick the day. Like, for example, today's date, uh, you know, January the 3rd. And, and the reading for today will pop up and the questions for that day that you can share with your family, with your friends, with whatever group you want to study the Bible together with.
1: And uh, they can also sign up for a daily or a weekly email that will uh, reach them with the questions and uh, as well as the readings for the week. So lots of resources, folks, there at the website. Dr. Kierton, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for all the work you put into uh, getting us set up for this
8: uh, two-year journey. My pleasure. It's an honor to serve, Tony. All
1: right, folks, check it out, frc.org slash Bible. All right, don't go away. Coming back with Hans von Spakowski talking about an insurrection
7: Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the app store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app.
9: Visit frc.org slash internships to apply.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Right this Thursday will mark one year since the January 6th riot at the U.S. Capitol. And the left and the legacy media is making sure that they will milk the events of that day for all that they can, especially with the upcoming midterm elections and the forecast not looking too good for Democrats and for the left. Late last week, and I mentioned at the top of the program, one of the most outrageous headlines that I've ever read in a newspaper, and it was from the Associated Press, and it was not an opinion piece. It was a news article, and this was the title. Slow motion insurrection, how GOP seizes election power. Now, the whole focus of the piece was to take a shot at local and state election integrity efforts. The fact that people are running for office to try to clean up the elections in this country. And they're now trying to tie that into an insurrection. I mean, this is, as I said earlier, this is not only bad journalism. It's dangerous journalism. This is suggesting That people running for office or people who are in office, duly elected by the citizens, who are using the process to change laws or to actually reinforce laws that were already there, that were violated in the last election, that somehow that's an insurrection. That's incredible. It's dangerous. With me now to talk about what is really happening at the state level is Hans Hans Spakowski, Senior Legal Fellow at the Heritage Foundation and Manager of their Election Law Reform Initiative. Hans, welcome back to the program. Sure, thanks for having me. I don't know if you saw that AP piece. I, I did. Uh, I, I mean, I, I could not believe they actually had that as the title of the article. Yeah, and the the
10: rest of the article is really one of the most outrageous articles I've, I've ever read. And as you said... This really, it it masquerades as a news article, but it's an opinion piece. It's the kind of opinion piece I would expect from a far-left advocacy organizations like the ACLU or or other organizations like that, and it shows that the AP is no longer really a news-gathering organization. It's as bad as MSNBC, And, and particularly the whole thrust of it, the idea that Working for uh, election reform that 's supposed to improve the integrity of the election process that that somehow is wrong that, that somehow uh, part of an insurrection is just so absurd i, I couldn 't believe I, I thought at first this might be a satire from the Babylon b as opposed to a serious article
1: it, it, but but it does reflect i think where the legacy media yeah. is and i i'm going i 'm going to read a couple of different paragraphs here and get you to comment on it but Uh, Here's the, the second paragraph in battleground states and beyond. Republicans are taking hold of the once overlooked machinery of elections. While the effort is incomplete and uneven, outside experts on democracy and Democrats are sounding alarms, warning the United States is witnessing a slow motion insurrection with a better chance of success than Trump's failed power grab last year. Now, Hans, let me ask you about this because, uh, well, wait, let me let me quote another piece, another uh, paragraph. This time, experts argue, uh, never in the country's modern history has a major party sought to turn the administration of elections into an explicitly partisan act. All right, how do you explain what Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer right. are doing with "For the People" Act on Capitol Hill? Yeah,
10: like I said, this this article just simply ignores all this evidence of how the left has been trying to change election rules to the contrary uh, for many, many years. I mean, just to give you one quick example, um, the left for years has opposed every effort and any effort by states to actually verify the citizenship of individuals who are registering to vote. They claim that's voter suppression. How in the world, uh, when it is a requirement under the law, that you be a citizen to vote, for example, in federal elections, how is that uh, suppressing votes to actually verify that somebody is a U.S. citizen? But that's one of the kinds of right. examples that that the uh, the left and, and others give as supposedly a way of engaging, engaging in a revolt to actually ensure that our laws
1: are followed in the area of elections. Well, they're using this term insurrection because that's a very loaded term. Term and right. I don't even think it describes what took place at the Capitol uh, a year ago. I think that was a a riot, a mob, an unruly mob uh, It was not an insurrection. Um, but I'm to I'm to go to uh, and I want another quote. I'm going to read another part, part of this article. But then I want to go to what's actually happening in states across the country because half the states, more than half the states, uh, have been fixing the loopholes in their election laws. So right. All of these states can't be misguided in what they are doing. But I want to go, you you made the the point about how the left's been working on this for years. Well, they quote in this AP piece, I'm going to be nice here, they say this, they're talking about Michigan and they quote uh, the former chair of the Michigan Democratic Party. And he says this, quote, they're laying the groundwork for a slow motion insurrection. So that's where they pulled their headline from. And uh, it's Mark Brewer, an election lawyer and former chair of the Michigan Democratic Party. And then they go on to say the, the state's top election official, Secretary of State Joycelyn Benson, warned, quote, the movement to cast doubt on the 2020 election has now turned their eyes to changing the people who were in positions of authority and protected 2020. Now, They don't go on. They don't say anything about the fact that she was put in office primarily by Soros money for the whole purpose of trying to affect elections. And she was a former board member of the Southern Poverty Law Center. How is she a source?
10: Well, well, in fact, they failed to mention that in the mid 2000s, uh, George Soros funded and started this political action committee. They called it the Secretaries of State Project to, in fact, run uh, far-left advocates for Secretary of State positions in various states, uh, got them elected in places like Minnesota and Michigan. And the whole point of that was to put these Democratic advocates into positions where they could control election outcomes. The Michigan Secretary of State is the one who, on numerous occasions in last year's elections, decided to violate... Michigan state laws that set out the rules for election. So if there's anyone that's actually engaging in bad behavior, uh, it's, it's the folks who were being quoted in that story. Well,
1: so what does that tell you about the AP? Either they are very poor yeah. journalists and they don't know what they're doing, or there's an intentionality here.
10: Oh, no, I think there is intentionality. I've had now dealings, uh, and unfortunately with the Associated Press, on election integrity for quite a while, and uh, their partisanship and bias has been evident to me throughout this process. I mean, basically, you can't trust any stories that they write anymore about this particular issue. And, you know, what's so absurd about this, Tony, as you know, is, look, what states have been trying to do, places like Georgia, Texas, Florida, elsewhere – They've been doing things like putting in voter ID requirements. How in the world is that an insurrection? That's something that benefits all voters, no matter which political party they support. But to to label that and attempts to clean up voter rolls to, for example, make sure that it's only citizens who are registered, to to say that that's insurrection is it got to be one of the most absurd things I've
1: ever heard. And yet this is written as a serious article by the AP. All right. So I've made my point, folks. You cannot trust what the legacy media is saying. And I, I would go right. beyond just the election issue because I've read so many headlines and I'm and I've never been one to bash the media. But I will tell you that what has happened in the last couple of years is they have uh, they've dropped the facade. They are clearly a part of Uh, the Democratic Party of the left wing in this country. So, Hans, having established that fact, let's move on now, because I want people to know where to get their information on election reform. They need to go to places like Heritage in the work that you're doing. But let's talk about what's happening in states, because these state legislatures wouldn't be doing this if there was not something that needed to be done. No, that's exactly right. And uh, that's why...
10: Uh, In the legislative sessions in the states that occurred at the beginning of 2021, uh, a number of states, Florida, Georgia, Texas, Iowa, Arizona, and several others actually passed big election reform packages to try to fix the vulnerabilities that exist in the system. They've been attacked for doing that. Uh, There are lawsuits being filed against them by the Biden uh, Justice Department, but in fact, they pass good reforms. Anybody who doubts that can take a look at the new election integrity scorecard that we now have at the Heritage Foundation that rates the election laws of every state based, uh, uh, looking at them from the standpoint of do they protect security and integrity, and you'll find. Boy, there's a lot of states around
1: the country that
10: have serious problems in
1: their election systems, and that's a great resource, folks. Uh, by the way, and in fact, we'll make sure we get that up on our website, uh, or you can follow um, the links over to Hans's site. Because that's a good measure to talk to your right. state officials about and say, hey, why do we have these vulnerabilities? Why haven't we fixed this? But Hans, I'm going to go back for just a moment to a point you made about the states that did pass it. Because one of the early states to really take on aggressively to fix the problems, it was a state that was under the microscope during the 2020 election. It was Georgia. Right. And, and Georgia stepped forward and they, they did some some good stuff in fixing some of the loopholes, trying to limit some of the outside money, the, the, where the voting boxes were dropped and the voter I.D. And uh, Brian Kemp, Governor Kemp, to his credit, and I had him on the program many times, he did not wilt in the face That's of the right. left's opposition because they knew if they could stop Georgia, because they were the point man on this, that the other states would fold as well. But to their credit... Uh, He stood, the state stood, and I think that's why we saw other states move forward in this last legislative session.
10: Oh, no, I agree. And look, um, several of the legislators who sponsored what was a really good election reform bill uh, have suffered all kinds of personal and professional consequences for this, including one who lost his job simply because he pushed forward a good election reform bill. Um, but that shows you the, the problems that there are in this area, and particularly the way the media now is simply repeating uh, liberal talking points whenever it comes to the election integrity issue. And you, as you know, we're now facing uh, a further uh, uh, problem in the U.S. Uh, Congress because uh, Democrats are about to, do, to do, uh, put forward another push, To try to get rid of the filibuster in order to pass their federal election bills, which would basically nationalize the process and ensure dishonest elections for the foreseeable future.
1: Yeah. You know, as you said, this underscores the problem, but it also underscores what is at stake. Yep. And and you hear you listen to the rhetoric, like in the AP article about undermining democracy. What they're afraid of is that the left in what they've been working at systematically, which the coronavirus gave them the opportunity to do, has exposed. It's been exposed. And so Americans are yep. reacting and state legislatures are reacting. They're fixing these loopholes. And so that's why they're trying to preempt these states and take this at the federal level. And I'm grateful for uh, Senator McConnell and some of the other senators that have stood firm on this and even some of the right. Democratic members who are, are not crazy about this. But we're far from being out of the woods on this one. Uh, and so yeah. I'm going to, before we run out of time, we'll, we'll, we'll get an action item on that. But I, uh, first, what are the top states going into this legislative season where election reform measures are going to be considered?
10: Well, Pennsylvania is trying it again. Uh, Pennsylvania tried to get changes through uh, this past legislative session. It was vetoed by uh, the governor who later admitted, the Democratic governor, that he hadn't even read the bill. So they are apparently uh, pushing now to uh, try to get this through again, including, by the way, putting in a, a very good system for having audits after every election to ensure that everything was done the way it should in compliance with the law. Uh, and so Pennsylvania is going to be a big focus of election reform efforts as these legislative sessions get
1: underway in January. Well, folks, you need to speak to those in Pennsylvania. You need to speak to your state officials yeah. and encourage them to move forward in this. And and again, check out the resource uh, that Hans, uh, they have over at uh, Heritage Foundation that can help you kind of gauge where your state is. Now, Hans, about the uh, at the federal level, as you said, they're right. they're bringing it back, uh, may try to eliminate the filibuster rules to do it. What do we need to be watching on very quickly? Uh, folks need to do everything they
10: can to contact their legislators, both at the state and federal level. Their state legislators ought to be calling federal legislators and saying, why do you want to put in a federal law that would take away our ability in our state to uh, formulate the rules running elections? So they need to be doing everything they can to stop what is, uh, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi are about to, about to try to do in
1: the Congress. Yeah, and who knows? It may end up that uh, Dr. Fauci will be head of elections. Uh, <laughs> Hans, uh, great to talk with you. Happy New Year, and I'm sure we'll be talking a lot more in the, uh, the weeks ahead. Sure thing. Thanks for having me. All right, uh, folks, check out the website, TonyPerkins.com, and you can follow uh, the links over to Heritage Foundation. Take a look at uh, this uh, resource that they have available so you can see where your state lines up on election laws. This is really important, and I'm so grateful that so many states took action in the last legislative season in 2020. One. Now we're in 2022, and there's still some cleanup that needs to be done, especially as we're moving into the midterm elections. Bottom line don't be influenced by what the legacy media is saying. They're trying to scare people away by using these terms insurrection, making you feel like you're a criminal by exercising your constitutional rights to defend our freedoms. Don't give up, folks. This is our country. And we have to stand for it. But we do so by standing on the promises of God's word. All right. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6. Where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand. By all means.
0: Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported